Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to the Metron Live podcast, coming to you on a beautiful December morning in the Kirkwood neighborhood, Midtown Atlanta adjacent. Uh, Metron people, would you welcome the podcast people? Let them know that uh, we're glad you're here. Logged in and tuning, logged on, tuning in, whatever it is you're doing. As always, thanks to uh, Charles McFall, we appreciate your faithfulness in making these possible. I am in a uh, series, I didn't know it was going to be a series, but uh, I started a teaching last week, the, the presence of God manifested in such a strong way, there was such a, uh, a very uh, tangible presence of God that I never got past my first point. So it's this this has sort of evolved itself into a series, and I'm, I'm glad for that. The title, which initially was just my sermon title from last week, was The Word That Becomes Flesh, Learning How to Materialize the Spiritual. And of course, you know, last week I quoted this to you. I'll quote it again in the King James. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. And down in verse 14 it says, And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Last week, in my first point, I showed you that passage from uh, Gospels in the Now, actually John in the Now, and uh, available on Amazon.com and at JimSwillyBooks.com. Get your Christmas shopping done early. Uh, let me read it to you uh, just for sake of context. And the eternal word morphed into flesh, into a manifested incarnation with human attributes and authority in the natural world so that he could live with and among us as human beings. And he did live with us here in our world, limiting himself to the constraints of the human condition without reservation, but we could still plainly see his eternal divine glory. It was obvious that he shined with the glorious light of a unique firstborn son who is miraculously like his father who had sent him. The illumination from that glory revealed that he was literally filled with grace and that he overflowed with absolute truth. Let me start here today with, uh, this is a quote, Michelle, this will be number two on here. It's a quote that sort of, um, from a somewhat traditional theological standpoint, explains the word becoming flesh. And I actually like a lot of the language in this, this author named Sam Storms. This is what he wrote. It says, the word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. The infinite or infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. That's my, that's my favorite, uh, line. Actually, this, that, that line right there is what inspired this teaching. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The loved became hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity, from inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief, from a throne to a cross, from ruler to being ruled, from power to weakness. This guy, whoever he is, just has a, an excellent way. I mean, that's kind of the, the Bible in microcosm. He, he sort of explained the entire journey. What, what we used to call in church world was the scarlet thread that when you looked for Jesus, you could see him from Genesis to Revelation. And um, and I completely honor that point of view. Um, I do want to say some things that I don't think I have to over-qualify. I think 
you're not going to be surprised at some of the direction I'm going in today. But let me let me tell you some of my main thoughts I want to get across in this series. The the first one is this: the the word didn't just become housed in flesh; it became flesh. That's that's an important concept. Spirit becomes matter. Um, yesterday, uh, I, I didn't even mention this. Ken and I were watching HGTV. We watch a lot of HTV where they're flipping houses. And there's this couple, I don't know their names, uh, Egypt and my, uh, they, they live here in Atlanta. Real, real sharp couple. And they were, they were renovating some houses that I recognize the neighborhoods. They were doing one in Ponce Highland right over here. And it's incredible what some of these power couples do. You know, they're, they're running their own life and they're, fl- I don't know how they do it. I'm sure there's a team of people working with them that you don't see. But anyway, they, she sort of pitches the, um, um, projects to him and he sort of, like they're, not one of them's in charge. They're, you can tell that they they both have different strengths. It's really interesting to see some of these couples the way they operate. There's another one in Laurel, Mississippi that I watch a lot. I, I like I like them. They're real sweet. But um, uh, she he said she was telling him something that needed to get done by a certain deadline, and he said to her, "There's no way." We, he started telling her why they could, it couldn't be done. And she stopped him and she said, don't speak that into existence. It was just kind of interesting that she said that. And she says, just don't say that. I thought, these people, I don't know where they go to church. But uh, somebody invite them here. If they <laughs> y'all, y'all got a pastor? Uh, but anyway, um, and, and you could tell that he knew what she meant. Because he, he stopped too. And the the concept that every word wants to be made flesh is a very powerful thing. That's why you read some of these quotes like, uh, don't ever say anything about yourself that you don't want to come to pass. Um, we had dinner at my mom's last night instead of tonight because I'm going to Spirit and Truth this afternoon. And, um, you know, she is having a hard time. And she was just... Uh, enumerating some of the issues that she's having. And I said, stop speaking that. I said, every time you say it, it just gets more pronounced. It's like you're, you're, you're suffering. Said, I'm not denying that this is going on with you, but every time you say it, you're just reinforcing it. And, you know, she didn't argue with me. She's like, yeah, you're right. And it's something I have to remind myself of. Like sometimes if I start to say something, I think, do I... Do I want this word to become flesh? Because once I say it, it's, you know, it's, it's not that I'm going to see it immediately, but it's going to, everything you say becomes a reality in some dimension. And, you know, some uh, dimensions in the multiverse are manifesting slower than others. I actually read something that, um, that Abraham Hicks said last night that I thought was interesting. The, the quote was, um, you're not manifesting as much as you are creating the environment in which things manifest. And I thought that makes a lot of sense to me. It's not like, it's not like you say this one thing and then boom, there it is. It's like there's a, it's the, it's, it's the preponderance of things that you say over a period of time. Like I can have you all stand and, repeat after me and we could make affirmations or quote scriptures or whatever. You know what really has power is when you go to the mailbox tomorrow and there's a bill that's there that you weren't expecting and that you don't have the money to pay, at least not in your bank account. And when you open it, the first thing that comes out of your mouth, that's what you really believe. You know, if you say, well, this is a Opportunity for a miracle. <laughs> if I ain't got it, I ain't got it. So it's a good, it's a good day for a miracle. That's why I always say it's, it's, it's great to be in an impossible situation. Cause if it's, if there's some possibility, you will have a tendency to gravitate toward that. If there's just no hope, then you're like, well, I'm free. That's why I tell you, you know, like if the IRS says you owe 
three hundred dollars. You know, that's an aggravation, but you can pay that. If they say you owe three thousand, it might you might take you a minute to put that together, but you know, it's not the end of the world. If they say you owe thirty thousand, you know, all right, that's that's got my attention, but you know, if they have to work out a payment plan or something, like, all right. If they say you owe three million, you might you're free. You know what I mean? You might as well say, Hey, knock yourself out. Make it three billion. Make it three trillion. You know, if I, I had the possibility to get three hundred or three thousand or thirty thousand, that was kind of in the realm of possibility. I don't know where I'm gonna get a mil- three million dollars from, so y- y'all just set me free. Like, I don't know. You know, see if you can find it. <laughs> Knock yourselves out. And, um, so, you know, all, these are all the things that are, uh, obviously this is a, Christmas appropriate uh, message, but this is more than just Jesus being the reason for the season, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Um, Let me let me show you the next uh, thing I have on here, which I believe is out of the yeah out of the Kaboris manuscript. This is very interesting because in the in the original Greek, you know, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament's written in Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic. Um, this is why you have to rightly divide scriptures because they're coming through so many different interpretations. They're, you know, so much is being filtered out. Um, the Greek says in the beginning was the Logos, L-O-G-O-S. And I've taught a lot about Logos versus Rhema, that sort of thing. Uh, when it got translated into English, it was in the beginning was the Word. Uh, the Bible is not the Word of God. The Bible contains the Word of God. The Bible is an access point to the Word of God. The Bible is a portal to the Word of God. The Word of God is a much bigger concept than this group of books that some men in North Africa put together in the... Uh, actually, they you know, they weren't all that far from where uh, Wellington's from, where the Council of Nicaea was. It, w- it wasn't in Liberia, but it was nor- northern Africa. And, you know, they were... I think it was around the year 300 that they com- combined what we have as the canon of the Scriptures. Um, are they inspired? Yes. Are they infallible? No, they, didn't, they don't claim to be infallible. I know I say this to you all the time, but I'm telling you, every time I scroll through Facebook, I think, oh, Lord, I need to keep saying... What I'm saying, because some people, you know, they get them a verse of scripture and that's it. They don't, they can't, they don't see anything but that. And, uh, the word of God is, is big. David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. David said, every time I go up and look up in the sky, I'm seeing the word of God. The word of God is everywhere. The word of God is written on your heart. Uh, so anyway, this is what it says. In the Kaboris manuscript, which, and I've taught on this before, I've used this, but it's, it's fascinating to me that this was what the Aramaic says that Jesus spoke. What it says is at the v- very beginning there was willed action. The, the, um, people who spoke this language had a very different concept than the Greeks did about the, the Logos, okay? Um, and the willed action was by God, or it's called, he's called Allah in the, in the, that's what Jesus called him. And, and that's, that's the same root word as Allah or Elohim. And God was that willed action. God was that willed action. I thought God was a man sitting on a throne who was going to judge us one day. Well, I don't know what the original text says. I don't know if you've ever heard of John, uh, the, the, the apostle John who knew Jesus as well as anybody did, what he says is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was willed action. I mean, I can't tell you how many times this verse has been quickened to me when I when I needed to do something about a situation. You know, there's sometimes, if you really follow the Holy Spirit, there's sometimes you're just supposed to sit still and just wait for life to unfold. There's other times... It, you know, it's, it's yes and, it's not either or. There's other times you need to do something about a situation. You ever just felt like the anointing come on you and you think, I'm about to shut this thing down. Or like somebody, you know, you're in a bad, somebody's abusing you and you're like, wait a minute, why am I, why am I putting up with this? You know, last Sunday, 
you know, I had cataract surgery uh, Friday was a week ago. And when I was here last Sunday, I, my, my eye was still swollen. I'm with my, I'll have the next one done this coming Friday. Uh, my eye was still swollen, so there was some improvement, but it wasn't, I wasn't that dazzled by it yet. You know, I keep waiting for, I'm, you know, I keep visualizing Dorothy landing in eyes and opening up the, <laughs> the sepia-toned world and seeing Technicolor, and that hadn't happened yet. I was kind of, like, y'all aren't near as cute as I thought you were last week, now that I really see you. Uh, no, that's... <laughs> uh, it, it kind of reminded me of when, when Jesus prayed for the blind man and, and he said, what do you see? And he said, well, I see men as trees walking. And then, he, you know, his, his healing was gradual. Um, and when I went Saturday for the post-op, she said, you should have had about 70% improvement overnight and then the rest of it is gradual. So she said, you know, it's, if it takes a minute, don't be upset. So I wasn't upset. I thought, well, I, I'll get there. Well, Sunday, we went... Last Sunday, we went home, and um, we were watching, so we were doing laundry and watching a movie, and I fell asleep in the chair and kind of took a nap, and then we got up, I ordered food, like it's my our Sunday routine, I ordered food for us to go pick up to take to my mom's, and uh hadn't noticed it, but I, t- I told him, I said, I said, you know, I think I'm good to drive, let me let me drive to Stone Mountain. And when I got in the car, it was like somebody had flipped the lights on. I was, I was like, oh, my God. He said, what is it? I said, I can see everything. Everything's clear as a bell. This is incredible. This is like the best thing that's ever happened. Like, oh, this is, uh, I mean, it's like I, I just wanted to look at everything because it, I hadn't seen it in a while. And what I've been thinking of, and I did a, an 11-11 about it this week. When I went to the... Um, I actually went to the eye doctor to get a new prescription for glasses a few weeks ago. And um, she said, I could give you a prescription, but you, you you have three cataracts in this eye and one in this one. And she said, you just need to get that fixed. So I said, okay, I, I will. And I appreciate her being up front with me because she could have charged me the money for glasses. So, you know, that was good. And um, when I got in the car, uh, I knew my friend Howie had had, had it this same procedure done recently. So I called him and I said, you know, they say I've got to, uh, have cataract surgery. And he said, you're going to, you're going to love it. He said, you're going to, you're going to be so happy you did this. And he said, get the best lenses you can. It's, you know, it's worth it. But then he said something that I've thought of. I even, he's on a cruise right now. I called him in Ecuador last night and told him this. But, um, so I don't know if I had roaming charges when, <laughs> when we pay the, I said, I don't know if I got roaming charges. I got to make this quick. But, um, uh, I'm saying that because she sees my phone bill. Um, but uh, he said, you're going to be amazed at how you've gotten acclimated to bad vision. He said, you you haven't noticed it because it's just happened gradually, but little by little you've gotten used to not seeing things. And he was right. I've thought of it a thousand times since last Sunday. And it's made me think how many other things in your life have just really gotten crappy and you've just gotten so used to it. You've gotten used to a, a boss taking advantage of you or, or, you know, somebody being abusive in their language to you or just any number of things. Y'all know what, y'all, y'all feel me on this? Like, you know, you just, there, there comes a day where you're like, what the hell am I putting up with this for? Like, why am I letting this happen? And that's what I think of when I see uh, in, in the beginning was willed action because there's sometimes you can wait for God to do something, but you've been empowered to to intervene. And when something comes on you, like like the uh, the um, uh, prodigal son, you know he had, he was trying to get acclimated to living in poverty, and it says that he was uh, finally bottomed out. Remember when he was uh, working on a pig farm? And he was watching the pigs eat breakfast, and he was jealous of what they were eating. And it, sa- it says, in the King James, it says, he came to himself. He was like, wait a minute. what?" He said, there are servants living on my father's estate who eat better than this. How have I let myself devolve to this? And that's why in the beginning was willed action, and that willed action was God. 
I, I really want y'all to get this this morning because you may be in a situation that you can get out of, but you've got to do something about it. You've got to will some action. You've got to let your yes be yes and your no be no. You've got to say enough. You've got to draw a red line. You've got to create a boundary. You've got to say, I am changing this thing today. A lot of people don't do that. They'll spend 30 years complaining about a marriage or complaining about a job or complaining about a city they live in that they don't like. You know, and, and you just get so habituated to complaining because we live in a world of complainers. One day, I remember I was standing in a checkout line somewhere and I was listening to the people in front of me talk. The guy who was talking to the guy who was checking him out. And he said, uh, he said, hey man, how's it going? He said, yeah, you know, you know how it is. And the other guy said, I know, I feel you, man. And I thought, what are y'all even talking about? It's just like, y'all are just complete. You didn't even, Articulate what it was you're complaining about, but you're, you clearly are bonding around negativity. You know, yeah, that's the way it is. Like, well, that's the, what is. He didn't even say anything. It's just, it's just sort of this negative vortex that people get pulled into and don't even realize they're doing it. So at the very beginning, there was willed action. That willed action was by God, Allah, and God was that willed action. The beginning was by God, all was made by Him, and without Him, not a single thing came into being out of that which was. From Him there came into being a perfect life, and this perfect life became light unto all men. And this light out of darkness caused light, and darkness did not overcome. And willed action became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw glory as if begotten from the Father, completely filled with heavenliness and righteousness. All right. I don't know if any of you that grew up in church or grew up in Sunday school, or you know, when you first came to whatever your understanding of the Bible was, if you ever heard people preach things that just sounded so crazy and didn't make sense, but you were taught, don't question it, that's God. Things like, and these are things I thought when I was growing up, and I'd hear this preached all the time and didn't dare question it. But I would think, well, if if God is love and he loves everybody, why is the majority of humanity going to hell? And if he tells us to forgive our enemy 70 times 7, why can't God just forgive everybody why can't he just save the world and then i would think why did he even set us up for failure because you know he puts if you're going to take the genesis narrative literally he puts adam and eve in the garden and says now you can eat out of any tree in the garden but uh not this one right here why would you why would you even set that I was reading something just even to this morning sitting here when I got here early. I was scrolling through my feed and there's a guy I read after a lot and he was he was saying uh so, some things he te- he posts I'm like, eh, I don't know if I I don't know if I'm there with you, but a lot of stuff. I've even quoted him here. But he was saying that Eve was the hero in that story because it's clear, you know, it's like when God says eat of any of them except this one. It's nearly like a verbal cue. Like, yeah, that's the one I want you to eat from. And how that, uh, that because she went ahead and did it, it, ex- it exposed us to knowledge we wouldn't have had otherwise. But all of that just, and then when you hear, uh, you know, if you, I was raised on a lot of hell and a lot of missing the rapture and mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, if you've never heard this story before, we've been acclimated to it, so we're used to it. But if you've never heard that people were going to, without Jesus, they're going to go to hell for eternity, and you you heard what the original sin is, I don't know if you've ever heard this, they ate a piece of fruit. Like that, that was it. I mean, did you... Mother ever say don't don't eat that dessert till you eat your all your clean your plate? 
what if you went ahead and ate a bite of the pecan pie and you were kicked out of the family? Why did you disown them? Were they, were they on crystal meth and they broke into your house and stole everything? No. What'd they do? I told them not to eat a bite of that pecan pie and they ate it and I said, depart from me, ye cursed. I know you not. Wouldn't you think that's a little harsh? I mean, quite frankly, I can't think of anything my kids could do that would make me disown them. I could think of things they would do that would be, I would hate that they did it, but I would never like, well, no, you're my, I loved you before you were born. That's like, nothing can separate you from that. Um, so there's, this is the way I, this is the way I visualize it. Like, Oh, let's, let's say over here is the deconstruction of a lot of things we were fed in Judeo-Christian theology that just are illogical. Um, why is there a Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit? What, you know, once you learned where babies came from, why wasn't there, why isn't there a mother? And why did, why, if God loved mankind so much, why did he have to send a son to die? Why didn't he just take care of it himself? And what, is any of this resonating with you? Did you ever hear any of these things that you thought, I, I know I'm not supposed to question it, but this just doesn't, this doesn't make sense. And then you get into the whole thing of what, how you, how do people get saved? You know, when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, you had to go to the altar and you had to cry and pray through and you had to show a lot of godly sorrow. Then, you know, we were really influenced by like Billy Graham. And that's, you know, so we, we learned to people would say a sinner's prayer where they'd make a confession where they, you know, confess Christ as savior. The, the last time I went to one of those kind of churches, it had gotten so easy. I was in a service where they, they actually, the guy said, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you need to get saved tonight because Jesus came to die so that you didn't go to hell. I mean, I'd heard that before. But he says, take the hand of the person next to you, and if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, squeeze that person's hand. Well, whoever I was holding hands with, I guess we were, we knew we were saved because we, we didn't squeeze anything. And, uh, but he actually said, if you squeeze that hand, you will live with Jesus in eternity. And if you didn't, you'll go to hell. And I thought, man, that's eternal security is based on, I mean, I've been in, in groups of people where we were joining hands and I'm like, that person squeeze, like, I don't, you can't really tell unless somebody really clamps down on it. If you're telling me, you know, this versus this is whether I'm going to spend eternity in hell, if that's true, then I'm about to break somebody's hand. <laughs> that's what it like. Did y'all get that? Did Jesus see that? That I squeezed, I squeezed that thing. And that guy's got to go to the emergency room. Cause now you're talking about hell. And then I went to another, this was, uh, something that we, uh, we were hosting at Church of the Now and the guy, place was full. The guy says, uh, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your personal savior, raise your hand. And nobody, everybody there knew Jesus. So he kept, you know, he kept belaboring the point. Finally, a couple of people out of several thousand, some, a couple of people raised their hand. And he said, if you raise that hand, you're going to spend eternity Jesus. I thought, man, because my, you know, my shoulder was already hurting back then. And I thought, man, that's, that's a lot to put on the raising of the hand. You know, it's like, when, when does, when does salvation kick in? Hell, 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 hell. Uh, there, you're getting warmer. There's heaven, heaven, heaven. Like, good Lord. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I know it's warm in here and I'm, fighting to keep you all awake, but just, uh, <laughs> we might have to open. Thank you. Because they're close to laying down and taking it. <laughs> I'm going to have to bring out some sleeping bags in a moment. 
<laughs> uh, anyway, all of those things collectively just sound cray cray. That's on this side. On this side, I've been in situations where I know the presence of God was real. I prayed for things that they were answered. Um, I've, I've seen miracles. I've, I've read passages of scripture that really resonated with me and, and caused me to, you know, weep. I've, I've had situations where, you know, when the scripture says, whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. I've had situations where, you know, an 18 wheeler is headed for me on 285 and I say, Jesus, and don't know how I got out of it. So I, I don't think that's a fluke. So over here, I've got, Things that just are illogical, don't make sense, feel unacceptable to me. That can't be right. I was even thinking it today, thinking about what I'm going to say at Bishop Pearson's uh, service this afternoon. And I remember somebody saying to me a few years back, they said, well, you just embraced the um, inclusion message so that it would be safe for you to come out. You you found a theology that you weren't that you could endorse, so that you wouldn't be afraid God was going to send you to hell. And it, when they first said it, it kind of offended me. And then the more I thought of it, I thought, well, I'm not sure that's not true. If I had read in the Bible that all blue-eyed people went to hell, I, something in me would say that can't be right. That just sounds too out there, and it would have caused me to dig a little deeper and find out what the truth is. So yeah, maybe there is a, a kind of a truth to that. So the tension between believing something that's just illogical and crazy and doesn't just doesn't make sense and I'm not even talking about all the contradictions in scripture. Don't even get me started. People who say the Bible doesn't contradict itself has not they have not read it. But then over here there's something about it that's real and true, and uh, I can look back at experiences I had in God, and they were very, very powerful. I mean, I'm sorry to refer to Howie so much, but he, in a previous conversation, he said, he said, I got to tell you something. He said, I was driving along, and, and Candy Staten's version of It's the Anointing came on, and I was just listening to it, and that when that line got there that says the yoke is broken by the anointing. He said, I was crying and speaking in tongues so hard I had to pull over the side of the road. Now, I've had some conversations with Howie where we were like, I don't know, is God real? I mean, just between you and me, you think this is real or we just make it up? Because he, he grew up like I did and heard a lot of stuff that was just like, you can't believe that. And yet he's in the car and he said, I don't know what happened, but I felt the Holy Ghost. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is real. Some of the stuff you read in Scripture is out there because it's written by different people who had different concepts, different, like they were trying to explain transcendence by their language. That's why you can't put it together as this monolithic rule book that, you know, you're quoting all the time because it's, there's things that some of these guys said that's just quite frankly wrong. And if they were here today, they would be like, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I said in, you know, 2000 BC. Like, y'all still, y'all still fighting over that in 20, nearly 2024? Oh, yeah. People take those words real serious. You should have, you should have been a little more careful of what you wrote. If you actually wrote it, we're not even sure you wrote it. Half the stuff that they say Paul wrote, we're not even sure he wrote it. What does that mean? Do we throw it away? No, it means we look at it with some maturity and say, well, yeah, it's just like, um, sometimes I listen to some of these, um, love songs that talk about, I'm going to love you forever. Like even, uh, when I was a teenager, one of the big pop hits, was Captain and Tennille. Love, love will keep us together. That's a classic. Well, a few years ago, they got divorced. So every time I hear them singing, love will keep us together, I'm like, well, it kept y'all together for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, but at a certain point, I guess love ran out. 
Now, does that mean we're all going to say, well, love doesn't work, we're going to get divorced? No, we just know that some people say things like, I'm going to love you forever. There's nothing you can do that will ever make me not love you. And that, How many of you know that ain't always true? I mean, I, I had some people in 2010 that I'm not exaggerating. Two weeks before I told them some truth about me, they had actually said to me, you are the most anointed man of God I've ever heard. What everything I know about God I've learned from you. Two weeks later, to whom it's my concern, you are not my bishop. Please, please know. I'm like, wow, that was a big, that was a big change of gears. Not you're, you're a good preacher. I mean, just 13 days ago, I was the most anointed man you've ever heard. And then I told you the rest of my truth. You're like, oh, we're not ever. That's, I've always thought that was the craziest thing about church world is that you can just have this one sermon that you preach, and I don't mean they get mad. I mean, you'll never hear from this person again, ever. You'll cut off all communication. They'll block you on social media. And you're like, wow, that was that was quite a shift. I mean, <laughs> people outside the church don't go that dramatically. I mean, you know, you'll get a couple of guys in a bar get drunk and fight and beat the hell out of each other. And the next day they're like, oh man, I didn't mean it. You know, they make up with each other. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and church world doesn't necessarily happen. That in itself shows you something ain't right with that system. All right. What's that got to do with the word manifesting? All right. This is what I believe. I'm not saying you have to believe this. But because of the people who came out of belief in blood sacrifice, you know, I've been saying this to you for several years. I don't think Jesus died on the cross to get God off our backs. I think he died on the cross to change our perception of ourselves. Countries in the world that, that did not have a history in blood sacrifice, when you talk to them about Jesus dying on the cross for them, they don't, they don't have, it doesn't resonate with them. Because they didn't come out of that culture. The Abrahamic people, even, even the Muslims to a degree believed in blood sacrifice. You know, the difference, you know, when you see, if you're watching the news right now, you always see the Temple Mount. You see that, that, um, mosque that has the gold dome on it. That's built on, it's where they believe Solomon's temple was. And then some 500 years ago, Muslims built a mosque on that site. The reason it's a holy site, it's built on Mount Moriah, which is where Jews believe and Christians believe that Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac. Muslims believe it wasn't Isaac, it was Ishmael. And I've, you know, I've told you this story before, but let me tell you again, if you can stay awake for it. Uh, the last time I was in Israel, we're touring the most famous Jewish, Christian, and Muslim sites all in one day. And it's like 103 degrees, and I'm wearing a clerical collar, silk shirt, plastic collar. It doesn't breathe at all. So to say I was warm is an understatement. So we're standing on the steps of that mosque, and our tour guide is saying, he was Muslim, he was saying, the reason this is a holy site, and I'm not going to imitate his accent, very thick Palestinian accent. I was trying to understand what he was saying. He said, this is the site that Muhammad ascended from and was taken up in three chariots. So I'm standing there like, okay, good. Well, his assistant goes, no, no, my friend, my friend. And he pulls him over. He says, it was not three chariots. It was five chariots. Well, they get into a fight over whether it was three or five. And I'm passing out here in the heat. Like, seriously, guys, does it really matter? I thought they were going to come to blows. It was three. No, it was five. It was three. It was five. I wanted to go, gentlemen, it didn't even happen. This is an egregore. This is a thing that a people group came up with. Y'all are fighting over some. It's like fighting over. It's like I remember a few years ago before uh, Megan... Kelly left Fox News. Not that I watch Fox News, but I saw this clip because she was def she was 
talking about people who want to believe in a black Santa Claus. And she looks in the camera and she goes, people need to understand Santa Claus is white. And I wanted to go, lady, sweetie, Santa Claus isn't real. Like, if people want to have black Santa Claus, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, even if he was a historical figure and he's portrayed by a black man, that shouldn't even bother you. But Megan, Megan, no, baby, shh, no, no. he's not real. If little black kids want to have a black Santa Claus, you shouldn't even have an opinion about him. Let him have a black Santa Claus. And she was serious as a heart attack. So let me tell you what's wrong with our culture. Santa Claus is white and people need to accept that. I'm like, oh, y'all, somebody needs to call the cops. Like, this is really a news story? <laughs> like, really? But that's the way I felt when these guys are going, no, three chariots, no, five chariots, no, three. I'm like, it didn't even happen. It's not even, it's not even real. In all, of course, I didn't say that at that holy site or I wouldn't be here. You know, I'm like, y'all figure it out. Namaste. But can, can I walk in the shade over here when we decide? How about a, <laughs> I wanted to say, how about a nice, uh, con compromise? Let's say it was four. You know, you say three, you say five. Let's say Muhammad was taken up in four chariots and we'll call it a day and I can go get a diet coat. Uh, <laughs> but here's my point. And this may be the main point I want to make in this whole series. I believe prophets of old spoke Jesus into existence because they needed Jesus. Like when I hear people say, you know, <laughs> like I heard uh, this one preacher years ago, it's just such a ludicrous message. He was saying that God was looking down on mankind and it was so wicked and he said, I'm going to have to destroy him. But who, who could pay the price for the sins? And he said, his little boy Jesus was next to him saying, I'll go daddy. And he's like, no, you're too young. And he said, but he, you know, he was looking down and is it, who can save them? And he, he said, little Jesus kept going, daddy, I'll go. Daddy, I'll go. And people are like, yeah. He said, Daddy, I'll go. I'm like, y'all are as crazy as those Muslims arguing about there was no little boy Jesus in heaven saying, I'll go. And finally God, his daddy said, well, when you're, when you're old enough, when you're 33, I'll let you. I mean, like, do y'all, do y'all hear what this guy is saying? This is, this is nuts. Well, exactly. So, and this is, this is how I'll support it. Eddie, I'm sure you heard people used to give a testimony about how good God's been to him. Did you ever hear somebody say, he's been my husband. He's been my best friend. He's been my doctor when I was sick. He's been, did y'all ever come out of church where you'd heard that? Whatever, whatever I needed, that he, I, he was that to me. Uh, Reba wrote a song back in the uh, 70s that she got all kind of flack for called He Can Be What You Want Him To Be. And people were like, no, you can't. He can't be. He's God. And He changes not. Go back and read the Scriptures. If you need a, if you need a black Santa Claus or a white Santa Claus, get you one. Bishop, are you saying Jesus isn't real? No, I'm saying people got all kind of views about who Jesus is or was, or, you know, people want to argue, was he white? Was he black? Was he like, whatever you, whatever works for you, it's fine with me. I had a old white racist years ago say to me, he said, the way you love black people, it makes me wonder if you got to heaven and, and you found out God was black, you'd be okay with it. And I said, well, I would be okay with it. I said, what, what are you saying you wouldn't be? Cause this is back in the heaven and hell days. I said, so you're telling me, you're going to die and go to heaven. You're like, whoa, I didn't know God was a brother. That's I'm out. I'm out. I guess I got to go to hell. Like, do you hear yourself? If I get to heaven, God's black. I'm like, black is beautiful, baby. <laughs> like, 
like, what? I'd be getting on board with that in a, in a New York minute. <laughs> Even if I thought he was white, I'd be like, my bad. I thought, I thought he was white, but he's black, God. You know, I'm good with it. You know, you know, God. I always like that R&B music. Now, come on. Come on, God. Don't send me to hell. <laughs> come on. I can eat me some turnip greens, God. Now, come on. Don't you send me to hell. Like, that's just, that's, it's insane. So everybody, to a degree, has created their version of God, even their version of Jesus, in their head. And that's who you're praying to. That's who's answering your prayers, is this image that you have of God. Now, are you just saying, Bishop, are you saying we made God up? To a degree. Is there something, is there a higher power? Yes. Is there intelligent design? Yes. Is there some entity that I pray to and speaks back to me and answers me? Yes, that is real. Is it what I thought it was when I was growing up? No, my, my vision of that has expanded, but it's still real. It's my maturity that has thought outside the box. If you say that's the universe, like, all right, fine. When you say the universe, I'm just thinking, well, you're just talking bigger than a, a mindset of thinking there's a man sitting on a throne who's going to judge you. Because that's that's coming out of ancient people who thought of potentates or kings sitting on thrones. That's how they defined it. I mean, since I'm in deconstruction mode, I'm not sure if, if Jesus were to come now, I'm not sure he would use the phrase kingdom of God because the word kingdom means a king who has dominion. And he was speaking to people who were under the rule of the Roman Empire, so they understood kings. That's the language they would, would have spoken. If he came today, today, you'd be surprised at how he might, you might be surprised at if he said things like higher power or stuff, because that would be something that in our generation we would understand even more because we're not dealing with kings and dominions and domains and that sort of thing. Is God real? Yes. Is God imagined? Yes. So, you know, some things that you imagine are real. You're, you're picking up on something that is a reality. So when I look at the overall view of messianic prophecy, I think, well, these, these men over centuries, line upon line and precept upon precept, spoke something into existence that became so real that wise men in the East saw a star that confirmed it. That's the whole, you know, you used to like that movie, The Fault in Our Stars. That's the whole idea is that you're, you can change your destiny. Everything's not just locked in. So when, when John has his revelation, he says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. That makes sense to me because it's not a God being reactionary to Adam and Eve ate that fruit. So I'm going to have to respond by sending a sacrifice. I mean, if you even read the Ten Commandments, if you're just, I mean, if you're basically a law-abiding citizen, you've got about seven of the commandments already licked. Ten Commandments aren't, that's not a huge thing to aspire to, unless you're just a criminal. Thou shalt not kill, all right. Thou shalt not steal, all right. I remember back when this, you know, in Alabama they were fighting over, what was the guy's name, Roy Moore, that put the, he put the Ten Commandments on the courtyard steps. And all these senators were fighting for the Ten Commandments, fighting for the, we're gonna, they're not gonna take our Ten Commandments away. And one of the, um, reporters asked one of these guys, can you, can you name the Ten Commandments? He couldn't name one. I mean, if you've even just kind of even been around the Bible, you pretty much know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. I mean, that's kind of... And like, he couldn't name one. And I thought, you know, if you're going to fight for it, at least at least know a little something about it. 
when people talk about the Judeo-Christian ethic, that's that's in all the world religions. Like, you know, do good unto other people. And as as you would, a lot of things Jesus said you could see in, in other teachings. He might have said it differently, but it's, this, it's the same sentiment. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The, the golden rule. It's a universal principle. So this idea, think about this. This idea that only a remnant of people are going to be saved. And this God, who is supposedly all-knowing and all-loving, has this one little group of chosen people who have a book that's going to reveal salvation to them, and it's kind of written in code. And if you were born prior to this, because people lived on the earth millions of years before Jesus was born, certainly before the Bible was written. So you're just too bad, so sad. You didn't get to hear... You didn't get to hear this. Like, this just, it just doesn't make sense. I'll tell you, you know what'll really mess with your theology? Go travel around the world or, or know people from other countries. Because when you, or like when you dialogued with the Native Americans, it, you know, you think you know certain things that only the Christians know. We're the chosen people. Nobody else knows this. You go talk to other people, they know exactly what you're talking about. I told you this one really, I know I've told you this before, but I, this one really rocked my world. But back in the early 80s, I had a branch of a Bible college that I was the president of in Midtown Atlanta. And that's how I met Robert Rutherford. He was in the class of 81. And, you know, the people in that school were super um, zealous for going out and witnessing to people and praying for people. and um, So right down the street, if you, the house is still there. If you go if you go to the um, Starbucks there in Little Five Points, the it's the house not right next to that, but the one on the other side of that, used to be the headquarters of Wicca, the house of Ravenswood, which is a witch's coven. Which I was thinking about this this week, Eddie. I was driving down Cheshire Bridge. You know that that pic, that sign for Madame Bell is still up. It's still. I guess nobody ever bought that building. We used to go by there. and We rebuked Madame Bell, and she had died years earlier. Like well, yeah. <laughs> but that's, I'm telling you, I, this week I drove down. We, we went to Colonnade, and I, I was driving back, and I thought Madame Bell still up there. Anyway. A Robert and another pastor, they said, they came and said, we'd like your approval on this. We want to go minister to the witches at the house of Ravenswood. Do, do we have your blessing? I said, well, okay, just, you know, hope you guys know what you're getting into. So they go, you know, we, everybody prayed. I think we anointed them with oil and they were going to go, they were going to go deal with the darkness. So they get down, they, knock on the door and the the head woman answers couldn't have been nicer very cordial they told they said we're from bible college up the street we'd like to talk to you she said yeah that's fine she came in much nicer to them than i ever was to jehovah's witnesses that came to my door i mean i opened the door going i am not interested (laughs) but she invited them in had a lovely conversation um, Robert says, do you mind if we pray for you? She says, oh, that's fine. So they start praying. Robert's praying in tongues in his prayer language, assuming that her head's going to spin and the demon's going to, you know, the demons are going to manifest and, you know, it's, it's going to be like the exorcist. She's agreeing with him, begins to interpret what they're saying she says oh that's a beautiful language and he said you know what i'm saying she's yeah it's a really old language it's the language of love and he said what am i saying she said you're saying i love jesus i love you know all these things that robert would have said and it was so disoriented all of us because we were expecting you know them to be writhing on the floor and they were like thank you so much for coming it's like y'all aren't y'all aren't doing it right you're supposed to be vomiting and your head spinning. This is all wrong. And I'm going to spare you going through all my other litany of stories, things that happened to me in other countries. But little by little, 
things were, I kept having these interactions with people thinking, we're not the only people that know this. Like this is, the knowledge of the Lord fills all the earth as the waters cover the sea. And these people, how do they know? They're not supposed to know this. How do they know that? The, the, the level of arrogance among some Christians is just astounding to me. That you think, because you prayed this prayer, went to this church, you're right and everybody else is wrong. And they don't know, and they're, they're all deceived. Everybody but you is deceived. Wow. That is the height of arrogance. Now, does that mean the coming of Jesus was unimportant? Absolutely not. The, I'm, my favorite song is Long Lay the World in Sin and Error Pining Till He Appeared and the Soul Felt Its Worth. Yeah, exactly. Not till he appeared and God finally said, my little boy Jesus grow up. Now he's going to, he's going to take care of business. No, the, we felt our worth because he identified with us. And you know what? He didn't have to go to the cross to do that. You know, when the woman caught in adultery was saved is when Jesus said, well, I don't condemn you either. He didn't say, wait. A few months, I'm going to go to the cross. He says, no, I don't condemn you. This is like, he said, go and sin no more. In other words, you keep sleeping around with these men and these guys are going to drag you out and try to stone you again, but I'm not judging you. <gasps> Bishop, are you saying God doesn't care about sex sin? Well, apparently not according to Jesus. Oh, did I just shock y'all? Sex sin is going to get you in trouble. Somebody's going to get shot or somebody's going to get an STD or something. I'm, it's not advi promiscuity is not advisable. But Jesus, you know, a sex worker washes Jesus' feet with her. He says, I know what she does. Her sins are forgiven because she loved much. Not because I'm going to go to the cross and die for her sins. She loved much. Her, she's got a good attitude. <gasps> We're not supposed to be saved by works. Well, tell Jesus that. Jesus like, <laughs> I mean, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house who has ripped people off. Zacchaeus says, I feel so good about Jesus coming. I'm going to restore fourfold everything that I stole from people. And Jesus says, this day salvation has come to your house. He didn't say, I will be wounded for your transgression. He says, no good, you got your, you got your head on straight. Like, he, he could have stopped at the Mount of Transfiguration. But for some people, that still wasn't enough. So he says, all right, I'll, I'll take it all the way. And he goes to the cross. If anything, it makes me love and respect Jesus even more. Let me show you this uh, real quickly. Um, I taught on this before, the, the, you know, the word abracadabra that magicians use. Let me show you this. Um, uh, the word abracadabra may derive from an Aramaic phrase meaning, I create as I speak. This etymology is rather dubious, however, as, there it is in Aramaic, is more reasonably translated, I create like the word. The second lexeme in this supposedly Aramaic phrase must be a noun given the presence of the definite article on the end of the word. It cannot be an infinitive construct as the infinitive cannot take the definitive article or the definite article. Regardless, this phrase would actually be pronounced ebracadabra, which is clearly different from abracadabra. However, Semitic languages like Aramaic are not always hard and fast with the assignment of vowels, and abracadabra is similar enough to ebracadabra uh, given the tendency of vowels to shift. In the Hebrew language, the phrase translates more accurately, it came to pass as it was spoken. This is what I want you to get when you talk about Jesus being the reason for the season. He's not the reason. He's, he's one of many reasons. However, the fact that the word became flesh and dwelt among us means if you need something, speak it into existence. Well, I'm just waiting to see if it's God's will. Why? You're wasting time. The will of God has been planted in your heart. <laughs> you know, I learned that trying to build a big old building in Conyers, Georgia, because there's times we would run into a snag and I'd be like, out praying, you know, but raising money, so, so 
And I would think, you know, God doesn't really care if I build this building or not. This is, this is something we decided to do. It's not like, it's not, not like God's in heaven saying, I just need one more big old building. Like, no, this is what we decided and we're good with it. And there's, you know, it's a beautiful building. You know, we're proud of it, but God would have been okay if we didn't rebuild. We spoke that into existence. Am I shocking you all? Bishop, I thought you came to God just because God called you. Well, I decided to go there for a litany of reasons. And for some of you, that's the reason I know you. And maybe you were somewhere in some other dimension calling me. Maybe that's why. Maybe I, maybe I did respond to that. I could, I could grant you that. I think there are people we meet in this life that, you, that feel very familiar. And you think, I think I met you on some other plane. Uh, that seems very real to me. But it still has to be spoken into existence. Let me finish this. What's the next one up here? Uh, this is a quote by Eric Mikhail Leventhal. It says, Thoughts don't become things. Thoughts are things. Absolutely. Show me the next one, Michelle, please. P- uh, Pierre, not Pierre Cardin, but Pierre <laughs> Taylor de Chardin says this, We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. As I told you last week, I'm feeling this more and more as I progress, as as I advance in Kronos years, I'm very aware that I'm a spirit manifesting through a body. My spirit is actually more real to me than my physicality. Uh, Even to the point, um, if something is awry in my spirit, it'll nearly immediately affect my physical body. The tail doesn't wag the dog. Like, if I get some really bad news, i got to watch it, because in the next few hours, I'll start feeling symptoms. And I think, why is this? Oh, you know what? I had an uneasiness in my spirit. It caused dis-ease, and it manifested as disease. And then finally... Deepak Chopra says this, uh, when the material, psychological, and spiritual dimensions are brought into balance, life becomes whole, and this union brings feelings of comfort and security. That's what we're all doing right now. We're manifesting. We're creating an environment in which manifestation can take place. We're going to put a comma there. Let's all stand. Did you get anything out of this today? Good. Good, good, good. <laughs> I'm sorry I got so warm in here. I don't know what's going on. I'm feeling it in this velvet jacket, baby. Some of y'all manifested it because you always think I keep it too cold. See, some of y'all can't. Yeah, see? This is Ron. Rhonda spoke it into existence. <laughs> The battle of manifestations. <laughs> uh, let's uh, I'll, let's play the outro and then I'll uh, speak a blessing over you. Please. Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give anytime using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit visionthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. Metron is abundantly supplied. All of our bills are paid. Everything we need comes in. We manifest all the abundance we need. We are in the flow of abundance. Uh, All... Um, all obligations are met. We have more than enough. We come into 2024 abundantly supplied, affluent, living in the flow. I call it for us collectively and for you individually. This is going to be a prosperous Christmas for you. You have everything you need. Speak it into existence. 
God is more than enough. In the beginning was willed action. So will things into being because that's where God is in the willing of that. All right. Uh, have a blessed day. If I see you this afternoon at um, Spirit and Truth, that'll be great. If not, I will see you next Sunday here at 11 a.m. Those of you that logged on today, thanks for being here. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you.